A couple weeks ago, I had the chance to take three of my boys along with our youth leader, Zach Elander. We went on a, on a hike. We did a hike of a lifetime called the Enchantments. If you're not familiar with the Enchantments, this is a hike up near uh, Leavenworth area, and it is just remarkable. You get a hike amongst some of the most pristine lakes in all of, I'd say all of the world. It is just re remarkable. You get to see the teal-colored uh, lake of, of Kolchuk uh, up above. Uh, there's all these mountain goats all over the place. You're hiking, and they're like, hey, look, there's a mountain goat. How's it going, man? It's just, it's pretty remarkable. You know, sometimes when people do this hike, though, sometimes they backpack it. So it takes them several days to, to hike that whole trail. But me and my boys, we're a little bit overachievers. So we decided we're going to do it in a single day. It was 22 miles. Uh, we gained about 7,000 feet of elevation and lost about 7,000 feet of elevation, including dreaded Asgard Pass. Asgard Pass is crazy. You go up about a mile height over about a three-quarter mile distance. It is crazy, stupid, dumb, but we did it. It was, it, was, it was just remarkable. Now, I'll be honest. We did hike this last summer. But last summer, we had some issues. There might have been, I'm not sure who the navigator was, but somebody might have led us on a three-mile detour on the wrong way. Uh, no, you guys don't need to even ask who that was. We don't need to talk about that. But we had a little three-hour extra detour uh, then when we time, we, last year when we got to the top of that mountain pass, one of my kids got altitude sickness. And so we're on top. We've got like, I don't know, 14, 13 miles ahead of us, and we're sick, and we're tired, and we're behind schedule. Listen, y'all, that, that hike, we started that morning at 6 a.m. We got done at almost 1 a.m. in the morning. Like, like, what is that, like 19 hours of hiking. It was done. We hiked for four and a half hours in the dark trying to find our car. And so when we talked to my wife about redoing that hike, my wife is a little smarter than I am. I'm willing to admit that. And she said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to book you guys a hotel. That way, when you're done hiking, you've got a hotel that you can go and, and rest in. Well, this hike this year was amazing. We did it. Uh, we had no problems. Uh, we started at 6 a.m. We were done by 745. It was like 13 hours of, of, of hiking, something like that. And uh, when we got done, though, we were all exhausted we, we were hungry. We had blisters all over our feet. But I'll be honest, I wasn't excited about the hotel. I'm like, the hotel, sure, it's great, but I wanted to go home. There's something about home, right? There's something about being in your own bed. There's something about coming home to my wife and my wife being like, good job, you did better than last year, honey. Like, I, I wanted the comfort of home because there's something about home. You know, I know that not everyone in here had the best childhood or home experience growing up. But I think we would all acknowledge there's something within us. There's something within us that longs for this idea of home. And maybe it's not as much a location. Maybe it's more of a feeling. Home being that place when everything feels just right. Home being that place where you know you're going to belong and going to be accepted. Home for me is a place I recognize I'm a little bit crazy. I know that. But when I go home, there's other crazy people there too. And they accept me with my little bit of craziness. There's something within us that longs for this idea of home and acceptance and comfort. And it, and it drives us a little bit. We want to have that. This morning we looked at Daniel chapter 6. 
Uh, this is a story of Daniel in the lion's den, a story that many of us, if you've been around church for long, you've heard this story time and time and time again. It's one of those great Bible stories. And usually, usually when people tell the story, it's always like, dare to be Daniel. It's always something like, hey, hey, be like Daniel. Have the faith like Daniel. Like if you get thrown into a lion's den, then you want to be like Daniel and trust that God's going to save you. I'll be honest. I do want to be like Daniel. I want to have, I want to be known as a man of great faith. I want to be able to trust God no matter what my circumstances are. I want to believe that God works in amazing ways for his people. But as we've been in this sermon series the past couple of months called The Story, where we're trying to, to look at all the, the books of the Bible, the, the main stories, the characters, the commands. We want to see how all these, these, these things in the Bible are actually not individual stories, but they're all one big story. A story not about us, a story all about Jesus and what he has done for us. And so the story of Daniel in the lion's den, man, I, I hate to burst your bubble, but the story is not about how great Daniel is. The story is not about telling us to have courage like Daniel. The story is about how great God is. That's what the story is all about. And then we see it as we keep our eyes on God and on his kingdom, when we know who we truly are, when we know where our kingdom belongs, that is where we can have an emboldened, courageous faith, much like Daniel. Again, just context. Let's remember the meta-narrative that we're talking about in the Bible God's people, Israel, uh, they have, they're God's chosen people. God's trying to do something special through them, but we saw they continually rebel against God. Instead of pursuing God and living for him, the people, they choose to live for themselves and do their own thing and live according to their own wisdom. And this happens again and again and again. And God sends the prophets to say, hey, wake up, people, come back to God. But the people, uh, they just keep doing their own thing. And so God sends them into exile in discipline. He sends the people to exile, and this is where the story of Daniel takes place. God's people are in exile. Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of Babylon, and he's the, he's the one who came in. And when he first came in to conquer the nation of Israel, remember what he did. He took 10,000 of the best young people, the brightest young people, the smartest, the, the most potential, the ones that were voted most li li likely to succeed in high school, he, he deports 10,000 of the brightest young people, and he brings them into Babylon. And his goal is to brainwash them, completely with Babylonian culture. He wants them to think like he thinks, to, to act like they act, to do what they do. Because his idea is if we bring the brightest leaders of the future, and if we can brainwash them into doing everything the way that they, we do, then they won't lead a revolt years later. His idea is if we bring these young people in, man, that's going to give us security in the future. Daniel was one of these 10,000 bright young men. He was one of these guys. Yeah, there was something unique about him. In the beginning of Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself or his faith. He would not live contrary to God's commands. He made a, a, a decision. I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to live for him. Because of that decision, God blessed him. He rose in status and authority within captivity in Babylon. Daniel, Daniel chapter 6 takes place about 60 years after Daniel chapter 1. So he's been in the land for, for 60 years. Listen, he spent his majority of his life in exile. 
Majority of his life spent away from his home, away from his people, away from his land. Now what happened is the Persians ended up conquering uh, Babylon. And so now there's a new king by the name of Darius. Darius is the new king. Verses 1 through 3 tells us that Darius looked at the whole country and he decided to divide it into 120 different regions. Maybe we would call them states to give you an idea. There's 120 different states. And, And what Darius does is he places governors over those states. So, of course, you've got a leader over that region. And then over those 120 governors, he places three prime ministers to to manage about 40 of those prime governors. And one of those prime ministers, again, happens to be Daniel, a guy that God has blessed him because he's chosen to honor him. He's risen into authority in uh, exile. Again, I, I love this, because if you remember, remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Jeremiah, and Jeremiah wrote a letter to the exiles. Remember what he said to them? He said, seek the welfare of the city to which I'm sending you. That is exactly what Daniel has chosen to do. He spent a lifetime honoring his oath. He has been faithful to God. He's honored God with his life while also trying to seek the welfare and the benefit of the people who have him in captivity, of his captors. And now Darius, he's got a ton of respect for for Daniel. And so Darius is actually in this process of thinking, hey, I've got these three prime ministers. Maybe I should make Daniel head of them. Maybe Daniel should be essentially second in command in the entire country. Imagine that, a captive, number two in command of the entire place. Like, that's pretty remarkable. That's what God is preparing to do uh, for Daniel. The problem is, the other prime ministers, they hear that, Darius is going to choose this Jew, this Daniel, to be head over them. So it says in verse 4, it says to the rest of the high officials, they sought to find grounds of complaint against Daniel, or they could find none because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Listen, if you put some of the best minds against a single person, chances are, chances are they're going to find some weakness, some flaws are going to turn up. Like how many of us would say there's probably a skeleton in our closet somewhere where we said the wrong thing to the wrong person, we abused somebody, we took advantage of them when we shouldn't have. We all have done things that we wish we would have done differently. But what's remarkable is Daniel, he's been in leadership for 60 years. He's been in this land for 60 years, and these guys can't find a single charge against him. There's, no, there's not an ounce of corruption. There's not any amount of scandal, not a single charge that they could find against Daniel. I think, like, like, do you know how remarkable that is? Do, do you know how huge that is? That, that after all this time, they can't find a single charge against him. And this ought to be hugely convicting to us as believers. Daniel was 100% committed to walking in integrity, to walking with God, to honor God. In fact, Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all to the name of the Lord. That is exactly the way that Daniel had lived his life. Everything was in honor of the Lord. There wasn't any taking of shortcuts. There wasn't any trying to take advantage of loopholes into the law. He wasn't using people to get what he wanted. No, Daniel had genuine faith. See, genuine faith is not just something we believe. Genuine faith is not just a set of doctrines that we ascribe to. Genuine faith is something that changes how we live. It's a lifestyle. So the leaders are looking. They can't find a single accusation against Daniel because of his character. 
So what happens next is in verse 5. They said the only way that we can find a complaint against Daniel is if in connection with the law of his God. This is what happens when we as Christians live with integrity, that we live the faith that we proclaim. They can't find a charge against Daniel. They can't find a charge because of integrity or character. And so instead they say, you know, we notice that he worships this God. He worships the God of the Bible. Let me ask you this. If Christianity were to be outlawed in our country, how many of, how many of us would actually be concerned with our life? Right? Is there evidence that what you believe, is there evidence that what you believe actually impacts how you live in your day-to-day life? For Daniel, it did. It says in verse 6 that the leaders, they came together and they went to King Darius and they started, you know, doing the kissing his backside. They're like, hey, King Darius, all the leaders have agreed that you should establish an ordinance and a law and whoever makes a petition to any God or any man other than you for 30 days, that you would throw them into the lion's den. And King Darius, verse 9 says, King Darius signed the document and the law into legislation. Leaders, their plan Hey, we'll just go and tell King Darius. Darius, we love you. You're, we're gonna, we want, Darius, we want you to have a holiday that honors how great you are. Like, like we'll create a Kevin DeYette holiday. Like, I would love that. That would be fun. And not only one day, they're like, hey, King Darius, let's make it a whole month. We'll make it a month of celebrating you, Darius, because you're so great. They said, here's what we're going to do. To unify the land, Darius, for 30 days, people can only... People will all be under one authority. For 30 days, they can only make prayers and requests to you. And they stoke the ego of Darius. And I want you to notice there was a little bit of of a deception in this verse, though. Verse 7, it said, all the leaders agreed. Remember, Darius, Darius, he kind of likes Daniel. He's like, Daniel, you've been faithful to me. And so when the leaders come and they're like, hey, we all agree, Darius is like, well, that must mean Daniel's on board. So sure enough, because I love Daniel, Daniel's on board with this. Let's go ahead and sign it into law and sets it into motion. Let me ask this. What do you think Daniel's going to do? Let's make this a little more personal. What would you do? What would you do? You're about to become the second in command in the entire country. Yet the king passed a law that says for 30 days you can't pray to anyone but him. What would you do? Now, I know all of us try and be really religious. Oh, I would never. I would never. But here's the way my mind thinks. Daniel's about to become the number two in the country. Imagine all the good that he could do. Imagine all he could do for the kingdom of God if he just bit his time. Just bite your tongue for 30 days, 30 days. And then you have the ability to have all sorts of influence. Or maybe we think, you know, Daniel, just keep praying, but just do it in secret. Like, like, like it's just between you and the Lord. So who cares if anybody else knows? Just, just pray in secret. I mean, Daniel, what good are you going to be if you're dead? How can you make an impact in Babylon or Persia or for your people if you're dead? Daniel, just bide your time. Maybe, maybe this is better. Maybe, maybe Daniel should just go pre- protest out of the, outside the king's mansion. You can't do this. This is against my... Never mind. But look at verse 10. This is key. This is so huge. Verse 10. It says that Daniel went to his house where the windows were open to Jerusalem. He got on his knees 
three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks to God as he had done previously. Listen to that one verse. There are a ton of lessons that we could learn from. We could learn the lesson that we are to obey God and not man. Amen to that? Like, that's a good lesson for us to learn. We could learn the lesson that we ought to be people that constantly give thanks. Like, we ought to be people who are constantly looking for ways that we can thank God for all he's done for us. We can look at this story and say, you know, it said that Daniel had done this previously. And so the application for us could be, you know, if we're going to really withstand through difficult times, we've got to practice our faith when times are good. We've got to be dedicated to God when when things are going smoothly. But there's a little part of this verse that I want to focus on that I think is integral to this idea of home. Notice in verse 10, it said this. It said, he went to his house where his windows were opened to where? To Jerusalem. Where did Daniel pray towards? He prayed towards Jerusalem. See, Daniel, he never forgot who he was. He never forgot, listen, I'm an Israelite. I belong to to the people of God. He never forgot where he came from. Listen, I came from Jerusalem, the land of God in Jerusalem. That's where the temple was. That's where the presence of God resided. And he's so significant to who he is. He says, I'm not going to forget that. He, you see him living as if he's still on his way home. His heart is still towards Jerusalem. His heart is still towards the place where God resides. And Daniel, he, he might be in Babylon. He might be here, but he doesn't, he doesn't belong there. He doesn't belong in Babylon. He belonged in Jerusalem. And so three times a day, three times a day, Daniel turns towards Jerusalem to remember who he, where he was from, to remember who he is, to remember who his God is, to remember where his heart longed to be. It is huge. He is looking towards Jerusalem. Who you are, where you are from, and where you are going, they play a huge difference and how you live your life. It is huge. Daniel, sure, he might be in Babylon. He might be in Persia, but that's not where he belonged. He belonged in the kingdom of God. His identity was beyond just his his present circumstances. His identity was beyond being in exile, beyond being in captivity. His identity was that he was a child of God, and he believed, he believed what God said about him. He believed that one day God was going to bring his people back to Jerusalem. See, when we, when we remember who we are, where we're from, and where we're going, when we remember those things, you know what we do? We don't hold on too tightly to the things of this world. We, we don't put our faith in this world. We put our eyes on the kingdom of God. We put our eyes on the future he has for us. And so when Darius signs this, this, this horrible law into, into existence, Daniel had a choice to make. Do I follow God? Do I keep looking to God? Or do I choose to protect my own life and save myself? Daniel made the choice because he spent that time ensuring he's right with God, keeping his eyes on who God says he is, on where he belongs, 
He chose to keep his faith, to keep his hope in God and not preserve his life. You could say that Daniel had more faith in God than he had in his own life. Now, if you've been in church and you're familiar with the story, here's what happens. The other leaders, they catch Daniel on the act. They catch him praying. And verse 14, they tell King Darius, hey, we saw your boy Daniel. He's praying to the other God. And Darius is kind of like, man, what am I supposed to do now? He's in a conundrum. He's like, I, I love Daniel. He, he's my boy. But I can't, I can't rip up this law. I can't rip up my own law. So Daniel, Darius has no other choice but to throw Daniel into the lion's den. Now, one of the things I love about this story is I always want to put myself into the story because, you know, Daniel's thrown in the lion's den. He had no clue how things were going to work out. Can you imagine that moment when Daniel's getting, like Daniel didn't know that this would become a Sunday school story that we'd learned thousands of years later. He didn't know that those lions wouldn't be hungry. He had no clue. Yet his eyes were focused on God and on the kingdom of God. And he knew that God was going to be faithful. He knew that God was faithful. And because God was faithful to Daniel, Daniel's choosing, I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm going to trust God even if he doesn't save me. Because Daniel knew, you know what? Even if God doesn't save me, I still win. Why? Because I get to get to the kingdom of God. I get to be in his kingdom. The next day, after Daniel's thrown in the lion's den, verse 20, it says, the king calls out in anguish and says, Daniel, has your God whom you serve continually, has he been able to deliver you from the lions? Verse 21, Daniel replies and says, oh king, live forever. God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth. He has not harmed me because I am blameless before God and I am blameless before you, king. I have done you no harm. And here's what Darius says. After seeing God at work in Daniel's life to save his life, the king says in verse 26, he says, I'm going to make a decree that all the people in my royal dominion will tremble for the God of Daniel for he is a living God, enduring forever. And listen to this. His kingdom shall never end. His dominion shall be to no end. Darius just said about God. He just said to, about God. God's kingdom will never be destroyed. His, his dominion, his control, his power, his influence shall have no end. Listen, Daniel knew this to be true. Daniel knew this to be true, and through his faithfulness, Darius now comes to know this same truth, that nothing will ever be able to overcome the kingdom of God. Question is, Daniel knew that. Darius learned that. The question is, do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you allow that to actually shape the way that you live in the here and now? Do you know whose you are? Do you know who you belong to? Do you know what God says about you? Do you know where you are going? Because when we turn our, our face towards the kingdom of God, 
When we believe what he says about us, that's where that makes this a reality that we know, that we know, that we know his kingdom will not come to an end. That he is in control. There is nothing in all of this world that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I love the story of Daniel. I want a faith like him. But this message, the summary of this message is that this courageous faith, that we, if we're going to have a courageous faith like Daniel, it's a result of remembering whose we are and where our home truly is. And we want to have that courageous faith and, and endure through whatever adversity we're facing is when we remember whose we are and where our home truly is. Two simple points of, uh, of application. Number one, We've got to make our home in God and in his kingdom. We've got to remember who we are and where we belong because those make such huge implications into our life. I can't say that enough. You've got to know who you are and where you belong and where you're going. Listen, if we've placed our faith in Jesus, Philippians chapter 3 says our citizenship it's not in this world. Our citizenship is not in this state. It's not in this country. Our citizenship is in heaven. So much like Daniel, this home, this world is not our home. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. We might be here for 50 years, for 60 years, for 70, for 80. But we don't belong to this world. So which kingdom are you focused on? The kingdom of this world or the kingdom of God? Let me ask it a different way. Which kingdom is your window open towards? Here's Daniel. His window is open towards Jerusalem. He is putting his hope, his faith towards Jerusalem, towards the kingdom of God. He was intentional to turn his face that direction, to remember whose he was and where he belonged. Where's your window open towards? I know that for many of us, we're going to be tempted to open our window, not towards the kingdom of God, but towards the kingdom of this world. Refocus on what this world has to offer, its circumstances. We allow others to tell us who we are. We allow others to tell us what's important. We put our faith in all sorts of things. We put our hope in all sorts of things apart from God and his kingdom. We put our hope and our faith in our money. Look how successful we are. We can endure that. We're, we can make sure that we're going to be safe and secure because we've got enough money in the bank. We're putting our hope in the things of this world. We put our hope and our faith in our health and our, our reputation in our family and our friends. We put our hope in, in our, our success, in our retirement, in our spouse, in our education, in our good works. We put our faith in all these things that the world has to offer. And we look at these things and say, look, this is where my joy is. This is where happiness is found. My happiness will be when I have all these things that this world has to offer. We are opening our window towards this world. But you know what happens? We cannot guarantee any of those things in our life. 
we cannot guarantee any of those things will remain in our life. The wrong thing could happen. A bad circumstance could come our way. And you could lose every one of those things in a moment. You could lose your money. You could lose your family. You could lose your spouse. You could lose your job. You could lose your reputation in a moment. If that happens, where will your joy be? If that happens, where will you be? These are the words of King Darius. There's only one kingdom that has no end. There's only one kingdom that will never be destroyed, that can never be taken away from us. And it's not the kingdom of this world. It's the kingdom of God under his power, under his control. That's the kingdom that will never end. Not this world, but the kingdom of God. The question we have to ask is, have we made our home in this world? Examine our heart. God, show us the areas that this world has a grip on our heart, God. Help us see these things that we think we're not willing to lose, that we're going to hold on to. God, I need this. I need a spouse. I need, I need a job. I need, God, I hold on to these things because I get joy and happiness. God, convict us of that. Help us to see that our window has been opened up to this world and set up to the kingdom of God. How often do you and I go into our prayer closet and turn our attention to his kingdom, to who he is, to who he says we are, to where our home truly is? Because you know what the scriptures tell me? That if I know him, that I am a child of God. I am a child of the King of Kings. I am loved more than I could ever realize. I am a co-heir with Christ. I am a new creation. Again, if we would just open our window to the kingdom of God, we'd recognize our home is not here. Our home is with him. In fact, let me just throw this out. Here at Restoration Church, one of the things we say about one of our values is that we are people who belong together. That our church is a family of exiles. When we gather together, we gather together as a family with a single goal to walk this life with one another. Loving one another, encouraging one another, reminding one another of whose we are, of whose kingdom we should make our home in, of where we truly belong. You're visiting with us today? Praise God. I invite you, I invite you, jump in with us. Jump in with us. Make this your church home. You need the church to continually point us back to whose we are and whose kingdom we belong, and we need you alongside of us. Second point of application this morning, we've got to keep turning to Jesus again and again and again. In fact, one of the resources I recommended during this series was a children's Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Again, it is such a, a good book. It goes through in a similar way where it looks at all the big Bible stories and helps us see how they point back to Jesus. And here's, here's what the Jesus Storybook Bible says at the end of the story of Daniel. It says, God kept rescuing his people. But there's a time coming when God's going to send another brave hero, like Daniel, who loved God and did what God said, even if it cost him his life. You see, Daniel isn't just a man of faith. 
He isn't just a man that God used to do some incredible things. Daniel is a man who symbolized another hero of God that God would send to save the whole world. Daniel is a symbol of Jesus. And like Daniel, Jesus is going to be falsely accused by his enemies. He's going to be brought before a ruler who's going to end up handing him over to suffer a violent death. Like Daniel, Jesus is going to be condemned to die. But Jesus doesn't merely suffer the threat of death. No, Jesus actually went down into death itself. He suffered for our fate, for the fate of us as sinners, to die in our place. And they placed him in the tomb. And you know, when, when Daniel walked out of the pit, Daniel came out alone. No one else was saved by God's deliverance of Daniel. But when Jesus came out of that tomb, he came out as the first of many who will, redeemed, who will be redeemed from the pit of death because of the work of Jesus on our behalf. Listen, if we want a faith that endures through whatever adversity comes our way, if we want to have a courageous faith that can endure through whatever we face, we've got to put our faith in the only thing, the only person who has overcome the greatest adversity. Jesus was the reason that Daniel was able to endure. And Jesus is a reason why you and I will have the faith to endure whatever it is we face. And that if we would believe this, we believe in what Jesus has done for us, that we would have the faith to endure and triumph over the greatest of adversity. The question is, where is our window open to this morning? Have we left our window open to the things of this world? Or is our window open to the kingdom of God? Are we putting our hope, our trust, our faith, our significance, our joy, are we allowing it to be based on the kingdom of God, who he says we are, and where we're going? Let's pray.